Welcome back, everyone. Well, this is TJ on Come Follow Me with a YSA podcast that gives a YSA's commentary on the Come Follow Me program from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, so, yeah, I don't really have any announcements or anything. I don't. I guess I've never really done announcements before in the past, so it doesn't really matter. But if I did have announcements, um, I got an email from the church, like we all did, about how you can better hear him, hear Christ. So if you got that email, check it out. Um, I actually listened to a different video, a Come Follow Me one, that my mom recommended to me um, from last week's, I guess, yeah, from last week's um, reading assignment about Shiblon. And that was pretty good. That spoke to me, and especially because I'm someone who has pride and has a lot of stuff to work on. Um, <laughs> but as far as this week's um, assignment goes, we're still in Alma's counsel to his sons, uh, specifically his last son, Corrient, and um, our favorite chapters to, to read, um, especially as, as youth or YSA. Um, great stuff in here. <laughs> uh, but there actually is, yeah, a lot of really good things um, that we should focus on and maybe learn from. So, yeah, let's just, let's just jump into it. Chapter 39. Um, um, verse four, and that's the first one that stood out to me. Um, initially, um, Alma kind of goes off and is like, Corianton, why didn't you like listen to your brother, like Shiblon or be like Helaman? Why can't you be a little more like your brothers? Which is always, you know, a wonderful thing that children love to hear, especially the youngest, <laughs> saying Corian is the youngest, maybe he had, Alma had more kids, who do we know, or what do we know, but um, to say, you know, why weren't you more like your brothers, why couldn't you have done what they did, you're like, oh great, thanks, like, yeah, I screwed up again, and I'm never as good as they are, um, which maybe is how my little brother feels, I don't think so though, I think he's kind of found his own niche in life, and so he doesn't have any reason to be jealous or wish he was more like me or my older brother and or sister, which I think is the way it's supposed to be. We all have different skills and talents and characteristics. And so we don't necessarily need to compare in terms of who's doing better in this way or that way, as long as we're all just living the gospel. But I guess in this case, Coranton's not doing the best job of living the gospel, so he needs that. Anyways, in verse 4, Yea, she did steal away the hearts of many, but this was no excuse for thee, my son. Thou shouldst have, a, have tended to the ministry wherewith thou wast entrusted. So as we know, Corianton um, goes after the harlot Isabel, um, breaks a law of chastity, uh, sex with her in some way. Um, but I really love what Alma says to him, that, um, yeah, she stole away the hearts of many, but this you did, this shouldn't have, this isn't an excuse for thee. Um, for you just because she was very temptuous or very good looking. Um, and the re really the way to have avoided it was attending to the ministry uh, where that was entrusted. So yes, um, she was, there was all this temptation and there was these maybe difficult circumstances that you were in. But the only thing that really, ha or the main reason why this happened is because you weren't taking care of the things that you were supposed to be doing. You weren't staying active on the assignment you had been given. And I think that's a really good lesson for all of us, that really one of the main things that causes us to be, uh, or to give in to temptation, is if we're not diligently uh, going after the things 
um, we're currently involved in. So maybe that's a calling or maybe that's work or school or whatever it could be um, that you have a duty or assignment that you need to be completing or accomplishing. And if you're really focused on that and trying to give that your whole effort and diligence, then um, you're not really going to even like just a, a more worldly sense, you're not going to have time to follow after all these temptations or lusts because you're too busy doing the good thing that uh, is your duty to do. And I think that's an important point that Alma is trying to teach us here, that if you were focused on the thing that you were supposed to be doing, um, you wouldn't have fallen into temptation over here. It's because you lost your focus or shifted it. That's what got you into trouble. Um, and moving on then uh, to verse 5. Know ye not, my son, that these things are an abomination in the sight of the Lord, yea, most abominable above all sins, save it be the shedding of innocent blood, or denying the Holy Ghost. Um, he doesn't pull any punches here. You know, saying like, in terms of sin, this is number three. <laughs> um, and this is a really uh, important idea, as uh, um, Elder Holland has said, that the Lord is very concerned uh, with how we enter and how we leave this life. Um, and maybe that's a question I'd like to pose to you guys. Why Why do you think that is? Uh, why do you think the Lord is very concerned with how uh, we uh, enter and leave mortality? Um, in a large part, for me, kind of like as I understand it, it's because uh, both of them set up or take away a person's chance at mortality, which obviously is extremely important to uh, Heavenly Father um, because this life is meant for us to learn and grow, uh, primarily to get a body, of course. Um, but after that is to, you know, have the chance and time to prepare to be God and to become more as he is. And so uh, if we leave this life early, you would say that in quotes, uh, because someone has, has, has killed us, uh, they've taken away our chance to, to learn a lot of lessons, to become more like our Heavenly Father. So obviously our Heavenly Father is very concerned about that. But at the same time, how we enter this life does um, set up... Um, very radically how our life is going to turn out um, uh, for all that we enjoyed about equality of opportunity and things like that um, where we are born and what circumstances we are born to very much determine how our lives are going to be people born in uh, a war-torn country in Africa for example are very different than someone who's born in a middle-class family in Utah and they're going to have very different life circumstances and experiences and growth and so because of that I think the law of chastity is obviously something extremely important to the Lord how we enter this world because our Heavenly Father wants us to enter into families, um, uh, a good home, a stable home with loving parents. And when we don't have that, um, you know, that, that does a lot and really affects um, a child and a person's upbringing. And so because of that, naturally, it's going to be um, very important to the Lord how we enter this life, not just how we exit it. And why that as well it's so important not just for um you know children and what happens to, to to kids but also what that does for a person's psychological and spiritual uh well-being there's this wonderful devotional also by elder holland called soul symbols and sacraments um about why uh the law of chastity and sex is so um important and, and why it ha is so carefully guarded or why it's such a um like dangerous thing to play around with uh, so I'd very much recommend everyone reading that. Um, let's see here. But in general, I don't know. Uh, maybe we should one of these days have like 
a law of chastity lesson <laughs> or law of chastity podcast that'd be interesting this would be the one to do it i didn't even think about doing that i just went through the assignment like normal maybe in the future we'll talk about it maybe like when we get to mormon or something uh, not important but when it comes to the law of chastity uh, i really appreciate how like clear alma is about the consequences and the dangers of the subject he doesn't really go into talking about um why it's wrong but he does give us a lot of uh, insight about that or saying that it is wrong as he says in verse 7 now my son i would to god that you had not been guilty of so great a crime i would not dwell upon your crimes to hair up your your soul if it were not for your good um i just that's so powerful because to me it's like i am not i'm doing this and i'm kind of slamming you right now son not because i want to not because um i want you to feel bad but it's because i need you and you need to understand how clear um or how dangerous and how uh how wicked like this behavior and sin is so that you can uh, more fully repent uh, and i love how he uses the word harrowing uh, or harrowed because that's the exact same language he uses for his own uh, when alma talks about his own conversion that i was harrowed up um, but it was for my good to have that difficulty to have that trial and i know it's going to be the same for you because as he says in verse eight uh, you cannot hide your crimes from god um yeah, and the world may, a lot of people may have found out, I may have found out, but even if it was a secret, even if nobody found out about these things, um, God still knows. And because God still knows, you need to, you need to have that, that harrowing, that experience to, um, to more fully repent, to come unto him and to stop trying to justify your sins before God. Because that's something we're really going to see uh, throughout these chapters is, is Corianton trying to justify his behavior, trying to find a way where it was okay that he did what he did, which... You don't need to um, necessarily condemn Corianton for that, because that's something we all do. But it's something that we can watch for and we can be grateful for, that we have the example in the scriptures um, of Corianton to, to learn from. Um, but then, as um, moving on, Alma says in verse 9, Now, my son, I would that you should repent and forsake your sins. Go no more after the lust of your eyes, but cross yourself in all these things. Um, don't just follow your eyes, but cross your heart. <laughs> Hope to die. Um, but be, be regulatory of yourself. This is a big sin. This is a big issue. Um, and this needs to change. Um, you very, this very much needs to, to change. Um, yeah. Hmm. Sorry. I'm looking at my notes. Okay. Well, and then to to verse 14 this is just um before we go on to um uh, moving on to the rest of the chapters but verse 14 alma does say to corianton just really interesting tidbit after he's talking about how because of your wickedness people didn't necessarily believe me and i have to like the lord's commanding me to tell you that you need to repent but in verse 14 he says seek not after the riches nor the vain things of this not after riches nor the vain things of this world for behold you cannot carry them with you uh, and I think that's really interesting that Alma just throws that in there kind of randomly after all the stuff about the law of chastity that he's also like, and don't go after riches. Uh, maybe it means there is more to it than um, uh, uh, just the law of chastity and just lust uh, that Corianton was struggling with, but he was going after more more worldly things, more temporal things. And that was maybe the main issue. But uh, to finish up then with chapter uh, 39, verse 17, um, 
and I guess 16 and 17. And now, my son, this was the ministry where you're called to uh, prepare glad tidings, that they may prepare the minds of the children to hear the word at time of his Christ's coming. And now verse 17. And now I will ease your mind somewhat on this subject. Behold, you marvel why these things should be known so long beforehand. Behold, I say unto you, is not a soul at this time as precious unto God as a soul will be at the time of his coming? Is it not necessary that the plan of redemption should be made known unto these children as well as unto their children? And I think that's something we've heard about a lot throughout just like scriptures or just throughout, you know, the history of the world. As people saying, how can, how can you know that this is going to happen? How can you know this is true for something that's not supposed to happen for hundreds or in some scriptural cases, thousands and thousands of years? Like, how can you know Christ will come? And I love it. It just really comes down to this, of that line that uh, Alma says, is not a soul at this time as precious unto God as a soul will be at the time of his coming. Um, does it do people who were born or who are li- who live right before Christ comes or when he comes more important or less important to God than people who were born hundreds of thousands of years before he came? Um, if God cares about all his children, isn't he going to tell them about Christ no matter the time period? Um, and I think that's really what it comes down to, that how can we know that these things are true or how can we know of things to come? Well, if God loves us, then God's going to tell us. God's going to give us... Um, uh, the hope and the inspiration and the answers for the future. Um, that, And he's going to tell us about the plan of salvation and about Christ because that's um, because he loves us and he cares about us. Now, of course, there's uh, some backlash, That's I think, uh, some backlash to that, like during the great apostasy or just any times of apostasy. It's like, well, why didn't God tell them then? Um, well, you could say it's for the same reason, because he loves us. Um, and God is going to reveal unto us that uh, which we're ready to receive. Um, and if people aren't going to receive it and they're going to reject it and the condemnation is only going to be greater upon people, well, then God doesn't want to have to do that to us either. Um, so he's going to give us what we need. And because he cares about us and loves us just as much as he loves anybody else, we can know of things to come and he will reveal um, revelation about things to come. Um, that's all I got for 39. Moving on into... Oops chapter 40. Um, I'm not going to go probably too in-depth on the, the doctrine that Alma says in a lot of the next couple chapters, because I think most of it is fairly straightforward. Um, uh, plan of salvation, uh, clarity stuff with what it means to be resurrected, and so on. Uh, but I do like what Alma says, uh, talking about uh, the time of resurrection and when people get resurrection, resurrected in verse 5. Uh, now, whether this shall be one time, or a second time, or a third time, that men shall come forth from the dead, that mattereth not. For God knoweth all these things, and it sufficeth me to know that this is the case, that there is a time appointed that all shall rise from the dead. And so that's really a question, like, well, why doesn't it matter? Why does Alma say it doesn't matter? And I think the answer to that lies in, well, what Alma says at the end, that it sufficeth me to know that this is the case. Um... God, I think, will really make sure we are given everything we need to know to be saved. Um, so we're going to get the basics of the gospel, that faith, repentance, baptism. We're going to get things like temples where we need to have saving ordinances and things like that. But then after that, how much we uh, know or how much we find out, I really think is up to us. Uh, so if you if you want to think about it, um, I was having a good talk with a friend um, when you were talking about, like, well, maybe... 
do we really need to know that there's like a spirit paradise and a spirit prison? Do we really need to know that there's three different kingdoms of glory? Um, in some cases, you might say yes, like we need to know um, that people have a chance to repent and, and hear the gospel and change if they never had the, the chance in this life. Uh, but as she said, well, if you know that God loves us and you know that God cares about us, then of course there's going to be that option. And you don't have to like specifically know how it's going to happen to know that God loves us. And a loving God would never um, force his children who never had the chance to hear of Christ to suffer eternal damnation. But at the same time, it's it's really nice to know that, oh, there is a spirit prison and spirit paradise, or there are three different degrees of glory um, for the three different types, or for what kind of people we are in this life. Um, and in the next. But if you think about like what is most essential, um, we technically have all we need to know when you know that you're supposed to have faith, repentance, baptism, um, the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end. Like with those basics, that's technically all we need to know to be saved. And the other stuff is extra, although really nice to have. But I think that's really important for us to understand in terms of receiving revelation or what we're allowed to receive is after we've gotten the basics, how much more we want to get is really up to us. Uh, the specifics of spirit prison and spirit paradise, Alma obviously really cared to find out. And so he diligently inquired of the Lord. He wanted to know. And so um, he uh, sought after those, sought for those special blessings, sought for special knowledge. And he didn't need to have them, but the Lord still gave it to him. And I think that's true for us as well. Um, there are some things we don't need to know, um, and the Lord won't bless us with that knowledge because maybe he wants us to be focusing on something else. So, for example, if we're struggling to uh, do basics, if we're struggling to read our scriptures every day, the Lord may not uh, bless us with a certain knowledge of uh, what's going to happen in the eternities. Because he's like, right now, you just need to focus on something a little more basic, a little simpler. But... To some extent, I would say if, if there's not necessarily one thing that we need to focus on or if we are doing our best and are, are kind of focused and accomplishing all the things that he wants us to do, I do think that opens the door for us to ask for greater revelation and greater light. light. Uh, like the brother of Jared is a wonderful example of that. He didn't have to see Christ, uh, but his faith was so great. Uh, and when he is given the chance, he took it. And I think we could maybe have those chances and opportunities of revelation um, in our lives as well, uh, a little more than we maybe do. Uh, so moving on, some other cool, interesting points that Alma makes. Uh, verse 8, Now whether there is more than one time appointed to re uh, for men to rise, it mattereth not, and for all do not die at once, and this mattereth not. And then the big line, All is one day with God, and time only measured unto men. Um... So remember like my whole thing about sleeping, <laughs> how we don't sleep when we're drinking beans, if you uh, listen to that episode or whatever. Um, we measure time as, as human beings as uh, the rotation of the sun, or rather um, us rotating around the sun. And sorry, no, I'm saying this wrong. <laughs> we measure time as us rota rotating around the sun and then our planet rotating uh, on its own axis in relation to the sun. Um but let's say if it was day all the time, uh, how would you know that time is passing? So if the sun was always shining, um, you really wouldn't know time passes except for um, uh, things changing. So you would see trees growing or people growing or uh, plants dying and people dying and just like nature and, and, and temporal things changing. 
But even though we know they're changing, you wouldn't necessarily know how long, because time, again, is something that we've made up to help us uh, make sense of when and why things happen. But for the Lord, if it's all one day, like, you know, there's no sun that he's revolving around. Theoretically, maybe he is. I don't know. I haven't asked that. <laughs> um, but it can make sense why the Lord is so much more patient and long-suffering. Because to him, it's not, oh, you did it this day, or you did it within this week or this month. It's just, oh, you did it. Wonderful. You changed. You repented. You grew. Um, and that's what he measures. It doesn't, he doesn't measure time. He measures change. Um, and that's why I think it's so much in the long run, as other Uktor says, uh, in the long run, it may matter where we are, but right now, the most important thing is which way we're facing. Because if we're facing towards Christ and we're making efforts to go down that way, uh, it, it doesn't matter to the Lord how long it takes us, uh, per se, to get there as long as we're on our way, uh, as long as we're becoming that kind of person. Um, and that's because to him, uh, time isn't uh, something he's bound by. It's kind of something we've bound ourselves by. And so I think that's... Um, really powerful to us to understand how the Lord can be so patient and long-suffering. And also maybe inspiration for us to know how we can be more patient and long-suffering is to say, um, I'm going to measure my success um, by my progress, uh, my overall progress, not necessarily how quickly I progress. Um, though, of course, we have to make sure not to float, fall too back or too hard on the other side of things and to say, oh, I can take as long as I need. Uh, to repent or to change. Uh, we still can't procrastinate because I guess that mindset of I'll take as long as I need to in and of itself shows that maybe we're not facing the right way. Um, so now he's going on. Uh, Alma goes on talking about uh, the time between uh, death and resurrection. And in verse 11, he says something that I think is interesting uh, that concerning the state of the soul, it has been made known in me by an angel that the spirits of all men, spirits of, uh, whether they be good or evil, are taken home to that God who gave them life. Um, I think that's interesting how he says we're taken home, like almost as if we're going back to the same realm uh, that we dwelt in before this life. Um, you know, because that, that's really interesting to me. Like we really don't know where spirit prison or paradise are, though there's been like people have said that it's like around us, you know, it's in this... Um, surrounding us, uh, people from uh, paradise uh, on this earth. But then you also wonder, like, oh, well, where, where is the pre-earth life? Like, where is that realm? Like, is it the same place? Like, do all spirits go there? Um, and they're uh, hanging out with other spirits that haven't been born yet? Um, I don't know. But I, I, that is interesting how Alma says, we're taken home. That maybe when you die, your spirit goes up and you can meet your like great 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 grandkids it's like oh hey what's up like i lived my life how are you guys doing um i mean that's probably wrong there's not a lot of basis for that but interesting idea that i thought of um, um and then moving on into to verse uh, 14 i almost kind of describing spirit prison and spirit paradise um now this is the state of the souls of the wicked yea in darkness and a state of awful fearful looking for the fiery indignation of the wrath of God upon them, lest they remain in this state, as well as the righteous in paradise, until the time of their resurrection. And that's been, that's really interesting to me, because I've never, I've never really pictured, or pictured spirit or prison as, as, as that kind of hell. Um, because I, I, like, I imagine you die, and then you wake up and you kind of realize, oh, okay, 
I know I died, but I'm so alive, so obviously there's an afterlife. But after that, I've never felt like the afterlife was one where you knew exactly everything you did wrong, and you knew God existed. Um, otherwise, people would just, like, in mass, uh, well, maybe not, start repenting. But to some extent, um, well, at the same time, maybe you do know that, because it's like, oh, well, I'm, I'm not alive anymore, and then people come, and they're preaching to you, and be like, guys, God... God is real. Like, this is an afterlife. Obviously, you can tell the difference. Like, you need to repent and serve him to be saved. Uh, but then because of the choices you made in life and the person that you've uh, developed or become, you don't want to repent and you don't want to change. You don't want to accept Christ. And so maybe that's why uh, it's a hell. Um, not because, like, we're actually, like, suffering of, of, of fire, brimstone, or uh, torment in that sense, but there's no peace of mind. Um, there's this fearful, um, awful looking for the fiery indignation of God that we're saying, oh no, I know what happens. I know I'm going to be punished for my sins and I don't want to be punished. I don't want to have to go through the repentance process. I don't want to accept Christ. And so that's what brings the hell uh, side of things maybe. Because you'd like to think that's the whole point of accepting Christ is hell, uh, hell is gone. Uh, both in this life and the next, like he takes away the pain and the struggles that would come from it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I don't really have a good answer or understanding of of exactly how spirit prison works. Maybe I should study it or, or get revelation. Uh, but I think I have some other things I need to work on before I can learn the extra stuff that isn't as um, important. Um, but that's really all I have for uh chapter 40 uh just because he continues to go on talking about what does it mean to be resurrected and how things are going to happen and how we're going to be restored um but i think that restoration part which he starts mentioning at the end verse 24 um he really uh brings to pass in in chapter 41 so i want to jump over uh to that so in chapter 41 uh uh verses three and four about restoration i want to read them and it is requisite with the justice of God that men should be judged according to their works. And if their works were good in this life, and the desires of their hearts were good, that they should also at the last day be restored unto that which is good. And if their works are evil, they shall be restored unto them for evil. Therefore all things shall be restored to their proper order, everything to its natural frame, mortality to immortality, corruption to incorruption, race to endless happiness to inherit the kingdom of God, or to endless misery to inherit the kingdom of the devil, the one on the one hand, the one on one hand, the other on the other. Um, and this is where, cause you, we, we hear a lot about obviously that like once you're resurrected, like you, that's it. Like you can't repent or not repent, but you can't like change kingdoms. You can't move up. Um, that's the idea at least. Uh, and maybe we'll get further revelation that clarifies that or, or shows that there is, um, a way to progress between kingdoms for people. Um, but for now we can, maybe let's just say that you can't, um, and that like once you're in a kingdom, you're kind of in there, um, and I think the reason why, if that is like the true, if that is true doctrine, and if the, if we're not going to receive more revelation on that, I think the reasoning behind that is because of this restoration that we talk about. You're restored to the kind of life and the, restored to the kind of person that you are. So you return and become that again. Um, and so once you do become that, um, you always have that with you. So I'm restored to the life I was living. Um, if you're living a celestial life, 
then you get that kind of celestial life again, except now you have a perfect body that's unchanging or, uh, or immortal. And so in that same vein, if you're living a non-celestial life, like a terrestrial telestial one, and then you're restored to that uh, in a permanent kind of resurrected body, um, then you're not going to necessarily be able to change that because it, it's permanent. Um, and you've been permanently like fixed to who you want it to be. Now, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Um, maybe people, resurrected beings, can still change and repent and grow. Um, but I wonder if it comes, the reason why that happens is because uh, we're restored to people who want to continually progress and grow. And so, I don't know, it's just like an interesting thing of like, maybe someone's like, oh, I'd like to be resurrected, but I want to wait until I've developed to become a person who is eternally trying to progress and, and change and become better. And some people say, I don't want to learn to develop that. I don't want to become that type of person. I'd rather just be resurrected. And so then they're resurrected and then they, they kind of have damned themselves in that way from their progression. Now, I don't know if that's true, but that, that kind of could make sense to me um, to make a little more clarity of why it's why people can't necessarily move up between kingdoms. But again, I, that could be completely wrong. Um, but just some insight trying to figure out how it can be or, or how it is true. Um, uh, moving on then to uh, verse 7, Alma says, These are they that are redeemed to the Lord. Yea, these are they that are taken out, that are delivered from that endless night of darkness. And thus they stand or fall. For behold, they are their own judges, uh, whether to do good or to do evil. And we always talk, I can't remember if I've talked about it in this podcast before, but we always talk about how judgment is like a really bad thing and we shouldn't judge. Um, and if we're talking about eternal condemnation or eternal judgment, then yes, we should not do those things and that is a bad thing to do. Um, but we are supposed to learn how to judge. Uh, you know, the perfect judge in, uh, in Israel is Christ. And we're supposed to become as Christ is, so we have to learn how to judge a righteous judgment. And part of a righteous judgment means we never eternally condemn someone because we don't have that perfect knowledge and experience and love that he has for a person and with a person. But we can make judgments about what is good and what is evil in a moment. Uh, so we can judge that, oh, that situation, I don't think I should do that because it's dangerous, or I think maybe I should do that because it'll be a good learning experience. Um, and in that same vein, we can also uh, judge people to some extent to say, oh, like this person kind of has this character, these characteristics and this personality, and so because of that, I am going to hire them for this job, or I'm going to hang out with them, or I am not going to uh, want to be in their group because I know they're a bit lazy. And so those kind of judgments, I think we're supposed to make, and they're not wrong to make, uh, in so much as we don't let the, uh, that, that judgment determine their eternal worth or our eternal opinion of them. We can uh, fully recognize where someone is right now, and um, from that judgment, react accordingly. Um, but that doesn't mean we should pass final judgment on someone, where someone who, like we knew in high school, was a, a bum and didn't do anything and was just kind of a punk or whatever to then see that person in five years and think oh well last time i knew them i made that judgment about a person or about them and i know who they are so i'm not going to like get to know them or interact with them anymore um that's not what it's supposed to do like a true righteous mortal judge i think is one who can continually judges and reevaluates um because um people can change and people do change and, and that's what 
I would say, um, makes us a little more like Christ is to continually give people uh, the benefit of the doubt and to try again um, uh, within reason, of course. Um, you don't necessarily, uh, a day after a drug addict um, says that they're going to quit, you don't necessarily trust them immediately the next day um, enough to, uh, this is like a bad example. I don't know, let's say someone on a diet, for example. It's like, oh, I'm going to diet, I'm going to change. You don't necessarily, um, the very next day, start waving you know, chocolate in front of them because you know that they committed to it. You can, I'm not saying this very well. In general, let's uh, uh, try and judge people and give people the benefit of the doubt um, in, a, in a healthy, uh, non-eternally condemning way. Uh, but to give, let people uh, change and to give people the chance to change, to kind of rejudge people um, uh, uh, often uh, in, in a healthy way to th just to say, oh, how have you changed? How have you grown? Uh, to give people another chance um, instead of uh, eternally condemning them for something that they've done. Um, yeah, because I don't think that's what our Heavenly Father does. Well, Okay, I'm gonna get off the judgment thing because I can't, <laughs> I can't explain it well enough. Um, so still in verse 31, uh, after he's talking about uh, how we're judgment and there's unalterable degrees, uh, we'll get into verses 10 and 11. The classic, classic. It was scripture mastery, I think, back when I was in seminary. I don't know, I don't know if it still is or if it was. Yeah, it's not because they've changed seminary so that you don't do scripture mastery anymore. Uh, probably better that way, honestly. Uh, verses 10 and 11. Do not suppose because it has been spoken concerning restoration that ye shall be restored from sin to happiness. Behold, I say unto you, wickedness never was happiness. And now, my son, all men that are in a state of nature, or I would say in a carnal state, are in the gall of bitterness and are in the bonds of iniquity. They are without God in the world, and they have gone contrary to the nature of God. Therefore, they are in a state contrary to the nature of happiness. I love how Alma is able to explain why, or explain this all in these two verses. To, so he goes off and says, you're not going to be restored from sin to happiness because sin, wickedness, isn't happiness. And why is it not happiness? Because it goes against our nature. So remember, our nature is to be, we are children of God. Our nature is to become as God is. And when we sin, what we're doing is doing something against our nature, doing something against God. Um, and so it's like living the life of an animal, you could say. Like if a human being didn't, um, was more or less lived like an animal, just there to eat, sleep, and have sex, um, you might think that uh, that person might enjoy uh, a life of no worries, um, except, you know, having to survive. Um, but it doesn't mean that that person is truly happy. And in that same vein, when we sin and do things that uh, uh, deny our godly nature, our, our divine um, inheritance, you might say. Um, we're denying the happiness and joy that we're supposed to be able to have or that we can have. Um, I don't know. I, I, I kind of equate it to, it's like when you're a little kid, um, you have a certain amount of happiness and a lot of joy because you don't really have too many worries. You're not really focused on a paycheck or, or impressing other people for the most part. You're just kind of having fun and just, and you're innocent. Now at that same time, um, growing up means you have to start dealing with a little more worries. Like you become a little more mature. You care about what people are thinking. You know, you have to get a job. Uh, you're going to try and make a difference in the world. And so there's all these added stresses and worries about it. Um, 
But at that same time, there's a lot more joy that comes because uh, because of it. Uh, I like to equate it to yeah, I was maybe I had a lot uh, less worries or had a lot of happiness um, when I was a little kid. But I would never give up. Um, I would never want to go back because or or want to live in that life uh, style forever um, because I would never be able to experience something like love um, or like a romantic romantic love, romantic relationship. Uh, and that feeling and those, uh, those emotions and the joy that comes from that, uh, quelches anything that I ever felt as a little kid. Uh, even though there's a lot more pain, uh, and difficulty associated with, uh, building that kind of, uh, uh, loving and romantic relationship. Um, we're benefited as we grow and as we, um, more fully become ourselves, you could say. Like there's worries and stress and difficulties that come from maturing and becoming more like God, but we also increase our capacity for happiness. Um, and that doesn't necessarily mean it's like fuller. Um, like we might've had complete happiness as a little kid, but now how much happiness we can have has grown. So we still have a hundred percent or 50% or whatever it might be. Um, but that overall amount has grown because as we have grown and become more like God, even enlarged our ability to to have joy um and sin and wickedness uh, diminishes that ability so you may have 100 percent happiness sinning uh, or not uh, developing and becoming as god is but that doesn't mean you're having full joy or achieving the full amount of uh, happiness that uh we're supposed to have as children of god uh, if hopefully that made hopefully that made some sort of sense um Moving forward then, uh, uh, last bit from chapter 41, verse 15, um, and just straight up karma, like Alma literally <laughs> says karma that for that which you do send out shall return unto you again. It's like, okay, so karma is a, is a scriptural mandate that uh, the things you send out, if you send out good and, and, and light and joy, um, that stuff will also return unto you. <laughs> uh, but then the rest of the verse, and be restored. Uh, therefore, the word restoration more fully condemneth the sinner and justifieth him not at all. Um, I think this is such an important thing, and it's such a something that Corantin is is being an example of that we all do when we start misinterpreting the doctrine uh, to fit what we want it to be. So when we think of like restoration or the love of God, that doesn't mean um, we get what we think that we want. Because you hear that a lot where someone's like, oh, because God loves us, he will let us live the life that we want to live and, and support us and, and not, not challenge us or stretch us in any way. And in that same vein, some Corantin seems to be in this state of restoration saying, oh, uh, because God loves us, he's going to restore us to happiness, restore us to um, uh, the joy that we want to experience. But in reality, um, you know, the doctrine is teaching us uh, very different things. It's because God loves us that he does force us to stretch. It's because God loves us that uh, restoration doesn't actually benefit us if we're sinning. It only benefits us, really, if we're living a life um, that he wants us to live. And I think that the reason why that, that is and, and why the word restoration, you know, condemneth the sinner is because we don't want to be restored to something we're not. Um, God knows we'll be happier um, not living with him if we're then we would be living with him 
depending on what kind of life we chose to live. Uh, God doesn't want to restore a sinner to um, the celestial kingdom because he knows that person is not going to be happy. They're going to be more miserable uh, with um, a perfect knowledge of their guilt, as Alma has told us in chapters past. Um, and I think that's just uh, something important for us to think of and remember when we start trying to rest the scriptures, as we talked about a couple podcasts back, uh, to fit the the things that we want to fit, to, to fit the lifestyle and that we want to live. Um, the doctrine is for our benefit and it's supposed to help us be happy, but sometimes that means giving up what we want and what we think is right. And But, you know, it's really tricky. It really is tricky. That's something I really struggle with, of being like, okay, am I... Are the feelings I get where I don't like necessarily this interpretation of Scripture, is that because I'm, I don't want to change, I don't want to repent? Or is this because I don't, or because it's not right and it's not how I should be applying these Scriptures into my life? Uh, it's so tricky when it comes to feelings to, to learn how to distinguish what feelings are of God or teaching us and, and leading us to repentance and becoming better people and then what feelings are our own uh, kind of natural man where we're trying to reject the things of God and not repent and change. Um, yeah, if, you, if anybody has any like thoughts on that or ideas about that, feel free to share them. That's something that I'm, I've been working on and, and, and struggling with for probably most of my life, actually, now that I think about it. Okay. Well, let's get into chapter 42 then. Last one of the day. Um, so again, we're getting a little more of Grant and some of his questions and concerns that he has. Um, verses three and four. Now we see that man, that the man had become as God, knowing good and evil, unless he should put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. The Lord God placed cherubim and a flaming sword that he should not partake of the fruit. And thus we see that there is a time granted unto man to repent, a probationary time, a time to repent and serve God. Um, so I think that's really important for us in the sense, and especially important for Coranton to understand of, of how justice works, um, with sin, because as it says in verse three, um, when Adam and Eve fell, uh, they became as gods, knowing good from evil. Um, they, in a sense, were able to use their agency more fully. And because of that, we all have, um, that agency and because of that agency, we were like God. Um, but the whole point of having that agency is for us to learn how to, uh, to use it in the way that God wants us to, to use it in a way that allows us to become like him. Uh, I think it's Elder, Elder Renland who did it, who talked about this. I can't remember which conference, somewhat recently. But he said, our Heavenly Father doesn't just want us to do the right thing. Our Heavenly Father wants us to choose to do the right thing. And that's the whole point of our agency. And that's the whole point you could say of this life. Um, as he says in verse 4, with, this is a time granted to repent and serve God. Um, the Lord has given us mortality as a chance to learn how to use our agency in a way that we couldn't um, uh, before. Uh, moving on, where he just talks more about uh, uh, temporal and spiritual death. And I think we've talked about that um, in past podcasts or something. So I'm not going to go too in-depth on it. Um, but verses 11 to 14 is the next thing that stood out to me. And I remember my son, if it were not for the plan of redemption, laid in his side, as soon as they were dead, their souls were miserable, being cut off from the presence of the Lord. And there was no means to reclaim men from this fallen state, which man had brought upon himself because of his own disobedience. Um, in other words, I mean, this is pretty, it's pretty clear that 
when we're talking about spiritual death, like right now we're in mortality, we're actually in a form of spiritual death. Um, we're cut off from the presence of the Lord. Um, and then how we continue to use our agency either furthers us from him or draws us closer to him until one day when we can be with him again, or if we've pushed ourselves far enough away that we completely cut ourselves off um, from his presence. Um, and being away from the Lord is what makes us miserable. It's being in his presence and being like him uh, that brings us joy, because as we talked about earlier, that's uh, in accordance with our nature. But I think it's also important to see that from verse 12, how we say man had brought upon himself because of his own disobedience. Um, we chose to come to this earth, but then we also chose um, to sin. And because of um, the laws of God and justice of God, no unclean thing can uh, be in the Lord's presence. Um, and we chose that. We knew coming down here that that was the risk we'd have to take. But we also knew that we were going to sin. Um, and so it really was our choice to come to this fallen state. It really was to come. Uh, it really was our choice to come down here and to be cut off from the Lord's presence and to risk um, never returning back. But as we also knew in the plan, uh, from the plan of salvation, we knew that there was a way back. Verse 15, And now the plan of mercy could not be brought about, except an atonement should be made. Therefore God himself atoneth for the sins of the world to bring about the plan of mercy, to appease the demands of justice, that God might be a perfect, just God, and a merciful God also. And I think we talked about this last time, the um, uh, the whole idea between justice and, and mercy and in that wonderful video um, uh, that Boyd K. Packer narrates. I very much recommend watching it. Um, but it's, again, just one more testimony. Christ is the only way out. Christ is the only way we can... Um, that the, the laws of justice and mercy can be uh, reconciled, but also the only way for us to return and live with God's presence. Uh, we willingly chose to leave. We um, knew that we'd be cut off, but we did it because we knew that there was a way back. And the only way back is um, uh, through the atonement of Christ, where God himself atoneth for the sins of the world. Um, and then I kind of want to go more a little bit more in depth on this idea of justice, though. Uh, in verses 17 and then 22. Uh, now, how could a man repent except he should sin? How could he sin if there was no law? How could there be a law save there was a punishment? And then 22. But there is a law given, and a punishment affixed, and a repentance granted. That repentance mercy claimeth, otherwise justice claimeth the creature, and executeth the law, and the law inflicteth the punishment. If not so, the works of justice would be destroyed, and God would cease to be God. Now, I think this is really important for us to, to understand, and it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. I'm not sure if I completely have it wrapped around, but I'll give it a shot. Um, if there isn't a law for us to live, there's no way for us to repent and receive Christ's atonement. So we're cut off from um, the presence of the Lord, and we can't be back um, within the presence of the Lord. Uh, we can't live with him again unless we're made clean. Uh, but because of our choices and sin, we can't. Um, and so because, uh, because of that, we need Christ's atonement. Uh, we need Christ's atonement to make us clean. But the only way Christ's atonement can make us clean is if there are things, a law against things that are unclean. In other words, it has to be wrong to do some things in order for, it to, in order for us to be able to repent. If there's nothing wrong, there is no uh, good or evil, there is no right or wrong, then there's nothing for us to repent of. And if we can't repent, then we can't change through Christ's atonement, and we can't return to live with God, if that is making some sense. 
So in that way, the law is the only thing that allows us to come unto Christ. It's because there's a law given that there is justice. Because there's a law, there's a right and wrong. There's a punishment and there's um, a reward and, there is, and there's consequences. But because of that, that means that there's justice and with justice means that there, um, there, ha there can't be mercy or there, or, uh, there can be mercy rather, sorry, um, which comes to the atonement of Christ. But it's all because that there's a law given. Um, so it's actually, we would say, in our best interest uh, that there is a law and we're actually very blessed that the Lord has given us commandments about things that are right and wrong and hasn't just told us that we can do whatever we want because if there's a right and wrong, that means that there's a punishment and reward. And if there's a punishment and reward, that means there's justice and there's mercy. And if there's justice and there's mercy, that means there's a need for an atonement of Christ. And because there's an atonement of Christ, that means we can return to live with Heavenly Father. So obviously, again, the law doesn't save us. The law doesn't uh, justify us before the Lord. But what the law does allow us to do is to um, accept Christ and to apply his atonement in our lives. Uh, which atonement we could not do if there was not right and wrong, which atonement we wouldn't need if there was no right and wrong. Um, and if there was no right and wrong, then there'd be no way for us to get back to um, the presence of Heavenly Father. So go on having a law. <laughs> but then again, remember, it's not the law that saves us. It's Christ. Uh, and then the last verse I wanted to point out, uh, verse 30. O oh, my son, I desire that you should deny the justice of God no more. Do not endeavor to excuse yourself from the least point uh, because of your sins, by denying the justice of God, but do you let the justice of God and his mercy and his long-suffering have full sway in your hearts, and let it bring you down to the dust in humility. Um, and that's such a powerful uh, a verse to me, and it's so, I think, applicable, especially to someone like me, um, but, but all of us, especially nowadays, I think a lot of people um, were a lot like Corianton. And we're trying to deny justice and say that it's unfair, that this plan is unfair, that this idea that there's consequences that we don't like for certain actions is unfair. And what Alma's teaching, Corianton and all of us, is saying, um, don't deny it anymore. Don't try and excuse yourself or justify your sins, um, because that's not going to, um, to save you. Yeah, you may not like it, uh, but that doesn't mean it's not true. That doesn't mean rejecting it is going to make you feel any better. The... But luckily, because we have a loving Heavenly Father, He has provided a way for us to feel better, a way to repent, to receive mercy and be happy. And that's through following His Son. Um, and so I think, I think Alma's counsel has wonderful implications for the rest of us to say, uh, don't fight against the plan. Don't fight against God and, and justice. Um, but instead, just work with the plan. Work with what we've been given and choose to accept the mercy and grace in the way that Heavenly Father has allowed it to happen. And there requires a lot of humility in our part um, and a lot of things we don't necessarily want to do. Um, but if we're willing to do that, if we're willing to uh, receive the happiness in the way Heavenly Father wants to give it to us, um, we'll realize and find out that we're actually a lot happier and then we other would, uh, than we otherwise would have been. Um, and so, yeah, just wrapping this up, I don't usually, you know, go too much on the historical side of things, but um, I, I think it's so important, like, Corianton, um, Alma's words uh, to his son, and these chapters um, are so powerful, uh, one, because of what they teach us about the plan of salvation, but also um, just the things we learn about repentance and justice 
and, and love and reconciliation with God. Um, yeah, Corianton did screw up, um, but so no, so do we all. Uh, we all have sins and mistakes that we have made, and we have all, like Corianton, gone astray or have gone, uh, tried to deny the plan of salvation or didn't understand the plan of salvation, didn't understand the doctrine. Um, and we don't need to, to condemn him for that or, or think of him as any uh, less than us because his sins were made public for the entire world to see. Um, it must have taken a lot of humility and grace that he had um, to kind of allow this to be uh, in the records, I'm sure. Um, uh, maybe not. I mean, maybe Alma just put him in there and didn't ask, but I would like to think that Alma recorded this council and talked to the sons about putting it in the records and Corianton who had repented and humbled himself enough and said, I want other people to know what I know and to learn what I had to learn the hard way. Um, yeah, uh, let them know. Uh, very similar similar to Peter in uh, the Gospels. You know, all we get we get to see a ton of Peter's mistakes and, and follies, but uh, he allowed it to happen so that we could... Um, so that we could learn as well from his mistakes, that we could feel the connections with him and understand that we're not alone in this, that other people uh, have been where we have been and other people have still chosen to to follow God. And I'm very thankful to Corianton for that and also to Alma who, you know, very similar things happened to him and his uh, sins were published on record. Um, of course, he got a little more uh, validation afterwards when we see all that he did and we don't get to see as much of what Corianton did after he repented. Uh, but nonetheless, I'm very grateful to these um, men who are willing to um, own up to their sins uh, and show their repentance process so that we could uh, better understand uh, Christ and his atonement. Um, and I encourage you to, you know, you know, none of us need to go out and blatantly confess and, and scream our sins um, uh, across the rooftops, but I do think there is some humility and, and justice that can happen when in the right time and in the right way we share with the person who needs it uh, ways in which we learned uh, hard lessons through our own mistakes. I think that's really powerful, and I think that's really um, humble of us to do, to admit that we're not perfect, that we have made mistakes in the past, but uh, we continually strive to repent and to uh, to return to God and do the things that we needed to do. Um, when I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, thanks so much, everybody, for tuning in today. I uh, hope you have a wonderful week. Um, reading the scriptures, drawing closer to Heavenly Father, and, you know, living life, having fun, or having a really hard time if you're in a trial. Uh, keep going. Uh, keep trying. Keep living. Keep crying. I don't, I don't know. I've, I've never been really too great at motivational speeches. Um, uh, feel free to reach out to me if you want at comefollowme.tj at gmail.com. Um, but yeah, have a great one, guys. I'll see you next time.